Hey guys, Pastor Matt Chandler here. Uh, one of the themes that comes out in The Overcomers over and over and over again is the centrality of God's word to encourage and build up his saints. It's why I love uh, Dwell Bible app. It's an app for listening. Uh, I, I kind of use it in the margins of my day. I like to listen to, depending on my mood, uh, Mark or Felix throw on some ambient music and then in my truck or in my study or uh, in a few minutes between this meeting going into that, soak again in the word of God. Uh, they, they've given us kind of an awesome deal here for a yearly subscription. If you go to dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, they're giving us 25% off an annual subscription. So if you're looking for more Bible in your life, in the margins of your life, not just kind of traditionally listening, but listening while you work, listening while you drive. I couldn't recommend the Dwell Bible app more highly. answer, why not me? Like, what's special about me? All I see is loss everywhere. Like, if I see my girls, I'm just thinking, well, gosh, I'm not going to get to walk Audrey down the aisle. If I see my son, I don't get to help him become a man. I think Nor will have no memory of me. Except when maybe she can watch on YouTube or something. And I remember sitting there going, really, Lord? I'm I'm going through this like you, this is you let this into my life Thanks for joining me this is Pastor Matt Chandler and the Overcomers podcast one of the one, one of the advantages to being in a single church for really over 20 years is getting to watch kind of that long journey of sanctification in the lives of people. And so the idea behind this podcast is to uh, sit down with men and women who have endured significant difficulties, significant losses, significant sorrows, but have somewhat made it to the other side. So the, the nature of the podcast will be uh, a little bit more gritty uh, maybe than other things and and not, I, I didn't want any blue checks or famous people or I just wanted regular everyday men and women who have endured and come through the other side with their faith, not only intact, but actually flourishing. And so that that's the heart behind the overcomers. I just want to put in front of you stories of God's sustaining grace and power in a way that's really uh, gritty and honest about the journey. So I've done my best to grab men and women who so th there's not a lot of maybe not a lot of pretty bows on the back end, but just a, a commitment to stay faithful to Jesus regardless of the weather, whether it's sunny or whether it's storming. And so eager to put these men and women in front of you. I thought for episode one, what I would do is ask Lauren to come and join me and then ask my good friend Josh Patterson to come and join me and really talk about some of the waves that Lauren and I have endured um, 30 years into following Jesus Christ. And so uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about 
really the first seven years of our marriage, which if you have heard me teach or talk about that, those were very difficult years really for both of us. I, I think I'd come in with a like just a high, like this is going to answer all my problems, this is going to solve all those kind of deeper issues that I had in my heart, and it certainly didn't. And and then after we talk through the marriage season, we're going to get into really the season of, of brain cancer. If you didn't know, um, man, 13 years ago, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor and told I only had a couple of years to live. And so we entered treatment to that. And so, um, but let, let me welcome in uh, my beautiful bride, Lauren, and then uh, Josh Patterson, who's been a friend longer than, I mean, gosh, I, I, it's hard to have a memory where Josh hasn't been here alongside of me, both at the village and before that. So welcome, guys. Thanks, babe. Oh, honey, you look beautiful today. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. You look beautiful too, Josh. Well, thanks. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, I am, you know, I, as I think about the opportunity that we have just to have this conversation, and and I love the overall topic of the podcast itself, which is to highlight overcomers. And we think about yeah. in the scripture, what it means to be an overcomer is to lean in, press in, and trust in the sufficiency and the grace of the Lord. And he brings us through. And that's what he does. He brings us through. He doesn't take us around. He doesn't uh, you know, he doesn't, we just don't leap over and um, get to kind of escape difficulties and struggles no. and challenges and sorrows and losses, but he brings us through. We think of the 23rd Psalm, he is with us That's right. in our deepest, darkest, most difficult days and what a grace that is. And so for you guys to model this conversation means a lot and for me to be here uh, to to kind of walk through it. I'm honored. Thank you. So. Yeah. We're going to start with marriage. We're going to start with your marriage. Yeah. And, um, you know, you've said this before. You've said it on repeat. And and it's been something that has been disarming for people, mm. invited people in, that the first seven years of your marriage were, were a real struggle. Yeah. They're really challenging. And so why don't you frame that for us? What, what do you mean by that when you say, mm. hey, they were tough, they were difficult, they were painful? What What was the essence of those first seven years, if you could put that into words? Go with your perspective, babe, <laughs> and then I'll follow up so with the it, real perspective. It, it might be, yeah, it might be helpful to know that those who know Lauren and I best mm. would describe me as like the message version of the Bible and Lauren like the NASB version of the Bible. <laughs> so I'm like general idea, here's what it is, and Lauren's more like date, time, moment, very specific. So um, I, I can speak really from my own I, – I had a – overly idealistic, overly romantic view of what I thought marriage was going to be. I was coming from a place where I didn't think marriage was modeled well. Um, it, I, I, I could look at my parents and that's not the marriage I wanted. And so because of my personality type, I had read just about every book I could find on marriage, on sex, on – so I'm going in thinking I've done the research, I'm going to apply the research and that's going to get me the marriage of my dreams. And I think now, all these years later, looking back on it, I really was hoping that Lauren was going to solve some deeper issues in me of insecurity, of not feeling lovable, of having a background where I did feel unseen and unvalued and unloved. And, and then here's this woman that's saying yes to me, like, spend the rest of your life with me. And she said yes and so I really had all this weight immediately on Lauren that I was going to have a kind of intimacy with her, not not just physical, although I was certainly looking forward to that, but um, I was going to have this emotional, intellectual intimacy with her 
that that really did ultimately solve some of the deeper longings of my heart. And then I got there and that just wasn't the case. And it wasn't the case quickly. And so like, I even remember like on the honeymoon thinking, oh no, like, oh no. But then I didn't want to respond that way. I didn't want to respond the way I had grown up seeing like my dad respond. So I didn't want to blow up. I didn't want to pout. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do those things, but I didn't know what to do. I don't think I was mature enough in my faith or as a man yet to just have an honest conversation. So my honest conversations with Lauren were really about, hey, this hurts me. And and then Lauren, so the, we would oftentimes, it's not funny, but I would think Lauren's the problem. If she'll just, I did all this reading, I did all this, I mean, I know, like people come to me for this stuff. If she would just do what I say, then this would this would be better. I mean, I'm I'm Matt Chandler. And then I think Lauren, she can she can fill in the blanks here. But I was like, this is your fault. And Lauren, who grew up a good girl in church her whole life, is like, oh my gosh, it's my fault. So now I'm telling her it's her fault. She's believing it's her fault. And that makes intimacy impossible. Um, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy. And so now, you know, we're having a hard time connecting really in any way, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I'm in ministry. I mean, I'm standing up in front of thousands of college students every week at this time. And and I've got this, people love me and at home, it's just cold and I can't figure it out. And so it was easy to believe that Lauren was wrong because everything else was flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think from my perspective, I grew up really committed to performing perfectionism and people pleasing. And marriage was just another place to do all that. And I felt like a disappointment. I wasn't performing well. I wasn't pleasing Matt. And I was imperfect. And that was really hard to deal with because my whole identity was based in being able to do those things. I was pretty successful in school. I, for the most part, was a good kid, you know, so I was that good girl. And then I entered this space, but I entered this space not really considering marriage, like in what it would take and the meaning of marriage. I just, I didn't know. Um, and part of that was I was a believer, but I hadn't really woken up to the beauty of the gospel. Like I understood it as best I could. But as far as a really intimate relationship with Jesus, I just had the beginnings of it and didn't really understand the depths. And so intimacy was hard for me because I I was real tender. My identity was so like delicate in a sense, because it was based on, am I performing? Do I come across perfect? Am I living up to your standards, you know? And I wasn't. And so then I would shrink back, try to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Not realizing he he wanted, not wanted intimacy with me, but I felt like I was a disappointment over and over again. So it felt like I was, that was not a safe place for me to be who I was. Um, and so the very thing he was going after was the one thing that he was scaring in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we would get in these, these like, it was a cycle. It was really cyclical was. where I remember thinking, oh, we're doing okay. Everything's fine. There's no, like, fires burning. He's not mad at me. And then I would think, we're probably going to get in a fight <laughs> soon. 
And then I I would do something that was inconsiderate or, you know, he was trying to connect with me, but I didn't feel safe, so I withdrew. And then, you know, he would kind of give me the cold shoulder and I'd have to try to figure out what did I do wrong? Do I need, what do I need to do? What did I miss? And so I'd say, hey, is everything okay? And then all that had been storing up in him would come out and I just wouldn't know what to do with that. And so I would just try to appease him, but that's not what he wanted. That's not what he, he didn't know what he wanted really, (laughs) you know? Um, So it, it was just a cycle. Let me let me ask this. I, I appreciate both of your perspectives. And as I'm listening, I'm wondering how clean your awareness was oh. when you were in your early 20s versus how you're sharing it now. So oh, yeah. uh, you know, for Lauren, it's people-pleasing, yeah. perfection, and performance. Mm-hmm. And Matt saying, I, I felt this way. I felt insecure and insufficient. And wanting, mm-hmm. My guess is you had oh, – what no, was your awareness no level of that – then I had no language. Yeah. I just saw evidence of rejection yeah. everywhere. So I, you came into it well read, studied, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Great hopes, great dreams. Were you aware of your insecurities oh that gosh, you were bringing no. into the marriage? Were you aware of the deficiencies? Were you no, aware I, of I am what my life has been like I think psychologists would call it I'm the golden child in my family. Um, and what I mean by that is I just, my parents didn't worry about me much. I could just take care of myself and I did take care of myself and I succeeded really whatever I put my mind to, I was a success at. And so for me, getting married was just in that bucket. I, I had not, I'd faced a smidge of rejection at, in college, it, but that's, I mean, Lauren and I are meeting and dating, even, even as I'm experiencing some of that rejection from my peers. I, I was leading a large Bible study, and you can't really, it's my first experience not being able to win, right? If I do this, then there's one group of people that hate me, but if you do that, then another group of people that hate you. And I'd never experienced that before. So my first real taste of rejection really came in college. Um, but to me, that was ministry-related. It was easy to kind of categorize that as, men. they don't really know me. They're just, they see what they want to see. And they, so I didn't, There had never been anything like this where this one person that I really wanted intimacy with, I couldn't get there. And and I wanted her to validate me in a way that I didn't care. If I got 400, that was an amazing sermon last night. I I wanted Lauren um, to validate me and want me and to move towards me and then then any little thing. And I'm telling you, I was like a little boy, man, and I couldn't see it. I mean, I had no idea to see it. I like I can feel myself, like my heart being heavy, like I couldn't see it. So I'm crushing her. And I don't even know I'm crushing her. I wanted her, but I didn't know how to get there, man. I just had I was so broken and so confused and had no ability to navigate that space at that time. I mean, I'm, that, this is what I said at first. That's a lot of that's mm-hmm. a lot of therapy I've been through. That that's a, a couple of intensives. That's some and and a lot of apologizing to my wife. And, and owning some really boy-like behavior in our marriage, which I think was the driving. Lauren, Lauren had her issues. She, she wasn't a perfect woman in it. But had I not been acting like a little boy, just wanting someone to love him, then I, I maybe we, those seven years wouldn't have been as long. Yeah, and I didn't know either. I mean, I was 19, first of all, but also... 
you know, everything had come easy to me. So I felt like, yeah, this is natural marriage. I've I've done everything else well. I've made straight A's. I've graduated. Well, I hadn't at that point, <laughs> but I graduated with honors from high school. I was gra- on my way to graduate with honors from college. And so I thought, well, here's another place that I can excel. I should be able to excel. I can figure out how to please him and get the A. And so I think that's what I was, like, that was the script run, running underneath it. But I I didn't know then. I, I was just like, no doubt. how do I just yeah. please yeah. him and, and be happy and have peace in our home? And so just to, just to highlight the cycle that you described, Lauren, where— you're performing, you're pleasing, you know, this this type of perfectionism, it it kept coming mm-hmm. up empty. Yeah. And it's coming up empty because the well that you were trying to fill was a broken well, which was yeah. Matt's heart. Matt's yeah. You weren't in a place to receive that. Like there were hurts that were totally unrelated to Lauren. Yeah. And a validation and and insecurities that needed some deep healing that really had nothing to do with her that you brought into the marriage somewhat unawares. Is that fair? No, yeah, absolutely. And it's why I wanted to have this conversation here in episode one, because I just know right now, man, that there are going to be husbands and wives listening to this, and they're early on, specifically to speak to the men that might be listening, who all they ever see is disrespect. All they ever see is, um, yeah, yeah, a lack of, they, they really do believe if my wife would just do this list of things, then our marriage would work. And I I want to tell the story in an honest way because I like that might not be the case, man. Yeah. Like you might, you might have some real deep, kind of maybe even unknown wounds that are driving how you're seeing and experiencing your wife that aren't fair. Re- really asking her to be something that she'll never be able to be for you. And that's why I think you you've gotta you've got to kind of spend some time and maybe even some money navigating those spaces or getting help from somebody outside of yourself. I needed a guide, man. I could not. I had a I had this profound moment of grace from Lauren that broke me. And then I just went and started getting help. I was like, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm the problem. And so I was, man, I don't I I had been, I mean, I just acted like a total jerk to Lauren. And I'm in the kitchen acting pouty. I'm like slamming you know, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. You know, then I'm slamming stuff around in the kitchen. And it had been a rough, it had just been a rough season for us. Like the, and I'm telling you, you, if I hadn't been in ministry, I don't, I don't know. That's what sounds so crazy here. Like I'm in ministry doing that. I'm at the village at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, we're in our, our first house up here and um, Audrey's little, little. And honestly, Audrey coming in, didn't help because it gave me a place of like just complete devotion. And I mean, her to me. So what Lauren couldn't be, you know, delighted every time I walked through the door, Audrey was. Mm. And so Audrey became this really unhealthy thing for me where, man, I could just get my intimacy fix with Audrey. Because she wanted to be with dad and she loved daddy and wanted to play with daddy and um, wanted to get on the floor. I mean, so the, we were we were not in a good season. Uh, I had in some way stopped trying. I mean, I'm killing it at the village. I mean, we're growing by a thousand a year. We're I mean, we're seeing crazy salvations. The thing's exploding. I'm traveling and speaking. I'm speaking larger, larger venue. I mean, everything's just going amazing. And I'm coming home, and I just can't seem to win, Lauren. 
but I can win Audrey. And I'm in this, I, I mean, I don't, I, I just kind of had been real cruel to Lauren and I thought she deserved it. And by cruel, I mean cold. That, mm -hmm. That's how I do it. I didn't want to blow up. I never wanted to call names. Yeah. That's, I wasn't going to do no. it that way. So I just went really cold, which, I mean, the real word's pouty, right? It was like a pouty little kid. And I'm in the kitchen. I'm like slamming stuff around and I'm showing her by just being cool. What's wrong? Nothing. And Lauren comes around the little island of that house <laughs> and she just hugs me and she starts crying and she just says, hey, man, I don't know what's going on in you, Matt Chandler, but I love you and I'm not going anywhere. And it was like in a moment I went, oh my God, it's me. Like it's me. It's not her. Something's not right with me. And then that started. I mean, that's what happened. I went and got help. I think the next day I made a call and I said, I need to talk to somebody. And that started really a, a longer journey of trying to get in here and go, man, how did I read and experience the world that has me so twisted like this? Because I knew the Bible. I knew what, what marriage should be. I, I will say those Christian books didn't help me. A lot of them were like, hey, do these things and you'll get this. Like, hey, help her around the house. Be a servant. And then these things might take place. And I was, I brought that trash into the marriage. And it was, I was doing the things that they told me to do. And then I wasn't getting the results that I thought they promised. And then that would embitter me towards her. And, um, and, and yet that moment of grace really is the turning point um, for me in, in our marriage where I stopped going, Lauren has issues that if she'll just do what I, I'm asking her to do, and I I could feel that something was deeply off in me, and I needed a guide to help me get there because I couldn't figure it out. But I knew Ephesians 5 wasn't going to help me. And I love the Bible, man. I, I preach it and love it, and I've tried to build my life on it. And yet, Knowing those texts were not helping me navigate my spirit and soul and the broken parts of me or helping me love my wife like Christ loved the church. Yeah, and it's not that the texts weren't right. It's that you were twisted up and couldn't right. see them. You couldn't receive them. That's exactly right. One of, the, one of the ways we're able to bring these stories to you is by partnering with organizations that I've grown to trust and appreciate and love over the last couple of years. Uh, Dwell, the Dwell Bible app, if you followed my ministry, you know I've mentioned it before. It's just one of my favorite tools, like in my own devotional life, my own study life, uh, to find more ways um, to hear the Word of God, to absorb the Word of God, to have the Word of God top of mind for me. Uh, and so I've used it devotionally. Uh, I've used it in regards to just, uh, I'm, I'm currently studying the book of Daniel. And so all day today, I've had the, the Daniel read by Mark with ambient music in the background playing on my phone in my truck uh, as I, you know, uh, walked outside a little bit earlier this morning, just finding ways um, to have the Word of God um, absorbing into my system. And, and the, the design, the, the beauty of the app, uh, the various kinds of music that can play under, uh, the accents that can go to. There are so many aspects of the app that could serve to stir your affections for Jesus, depending on preference and desire. Dwell is offering listeners of The Overcomers 25% off a yearly subscription. All you have to do is visit dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, or you can click the link in the show notes to receive the discount.
Hey, this episode of The Overcomers has been sponsored by the Acts 29 Church Planning Network with an invitation to our 2024 Next Conference here in April in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be speaking alongside of a, a stellar lineup. You're like, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, we've got Brian Loritz and Sam Alberry, John Piper, and more. Uh, and the hope of the next conference is really what we're trying to do is equip and encourage you as church planters and church leaders, really regardless of the type of church or type of ministry that you're in. And I would love to see you there. To learn more about this and to register for Next, you can just go to acts29.com backslash next. And if you're an Overcomer listeners, you're going to have a, a special discount, like $20 off registration if you use the code Overcomers. And so you can apply this discount to the early bird prices before December 31st or the regular rates that start in 2024. That's axe29.com slash next. Look forward to seeing you there. So you have this seven years, you you said at the beginning, at the honeymoon, I, oh. I had this sense of like, oh no, and then for seven years. And so if we could just appreciate the challenge of that and the struggle of that, the weariness of that, that both of you experienced. And it creates a dynamic that is challenging. Audrey's born, she's born into this dynamic and, and it's not what either of you want. Um, you're both struggling through it. You are in a social environment as a pastor and a pastor's wife where you probably feel limited in yeah. terms of where you can go and who you can talk to. And it just can feel daunting. It can feel lonely. And I'm just going to ask, did mm -hmm. you experience those feelings? Loneliness, frustration, oh, yeah. discouragement, yeah. Uh, isolation. Was that a part of the narrative? It definitely was. And I even want to add, you know, where he said, it, oh my gosh, it's me. Yes, but it's also me. You know, it, it was both of us. And I think that's, we had to come to the realization, oh, it's me mm -hmm. on our own. But I do think there was something about Matt once he started dealing with the stuff in his heart. It it took him out of the equation for me in a good way Yeah. so that my focus wasn't on pleasing him I remember one night, it felt different than before because um, I can't remember what you said, babe, but I just remember you saying, you know, that you were trying, like you're, you were going to counseling, you were, you were trying to make this work, but it didn't seem like I was co cooperative. And he was right. I, because I wasn't doing the work. One, I didn't know how to do the work. And so I felt like counseling was something that you, went to if you had a traumatic childhood. And I didn't, yeah. you know? And so I remember laying in bed and feeling so alone and and thinking, oh my gosh, what do I do? I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get my heart where it needs to be to to be intimate with him, to meet what I know is not, I'm not trying to be his God, but what I know is good for a healthy marriage. And so I remember going outside on our back porch, and it was the middle of the night, and I saw a light on at a neighbor's house, and I don't know why. It just made me feel incredibly alone and, and helpless, and I just didn't know what to do, and I remember just crying out to the Lord, I I need help, and whatever that looks like, I, I'm willing to do, and it was that night that I was like, I've, I've got to go see a counselor, 
That's great. I mean, here here we are, seven years in, and you both have these individual turning points that in all likelihood saved your marriage. So for Matt, it's in the kitchen where, Lauren, you come to him and say, "Um, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going anywhere, and I love you. And then the night where you get up in the middle of the night and you feel this profound loneliness and isolation and struggle and know I have a role to play in helping move this marriage forward yeah. as well. And and I, a theme through this podcast series is going to be the only way through is through. That's yeah. right. And so how did you walk through it? Talk about, my guess is you didn't wake up that next morning, Lauren, and everything was great. And Matt, yeah. you got <laughs> hugged in the kitchen and everything yeah. was fine. And, you know, all the all the webs that had been woven throughout your life of hurt and, you know, frustration just melted away. That's not what happened. So what did happen? How did you walk through it? Yeah, I I'm I so want Lauren to tell the story of going to recovery here at the village and mm-hmm. here. Um if I could, you know, pop up, I, I think the the two moments when they combined were like, okay, we're committed to this. And so what ended up happening is I could see, oh, I've got some issues I need to work through. And I'm committed to working through those. Like I'm and not for the rest of my life. Like, this is my journey now. I've I've got things that I need to be sanctified in. I have a place that the Lord has made evident through struggle that I need help, and he wants to do a profound work. And again, I don't know that I had this language at that time, but I'm committed to it. And then when Lauren has a similar awakening, and she's like, no, I've I've got some things that I need to work through. Now, all of a sudden, we're, we're on this very even ground where... I'm not trying to fix her anymore, but I am, as her husband and friend, brother in Christ, celebrating her moving deeper into her relationship with Jesus. And then what the the pop-up was to see her as a sister in Christ that's on a similar journey as me, and then to think that the Lord put us together in the journey. So no, it took a couple of years for things to yeah. even out and 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 get to where I think we were both hoping and then past that to what it is now, which I think we couldn't have dreamed back then. But the the thing that popped up was both of us were owning our story and saying, we're going to turn to Jesus here. And then we're going to celebrate that the other has turned to Jesus here and is serious about doing the work. And so it was clumsy and awkward and we had to learn and it, it would it would get to where it was awesome and then we'd fall back into old patterns and then we'd get back to where it was great and we'd fall back into old patterns. And um, but you know, those falling back into older pat old patterns had just continue to lessen. And the healing that God has brought about is and is bringing about is is more the norm. But I would love for I, I just thought Lauren's the way Lauren moved required such courage. Where totally. this for me is all in the background. Like I, I mean, I think you knew. Mm-hmm. I think Brian Miller knew, but like my counselor knew. But this isn't. I'm not during this. I'm not going. My first. My marriage is a wreck right now. That's right. not. It was when we got to the other side that I started saying, "Hey, the last you know seven years were really awful." Like. I didn't think we were going to make it, like lay in bed at night. Oh, my God, is this the rest of my life? Kind of awful. Um, I never said that until we were past this and in a more healthy place. Right. So I my stuff was 
kind of secret, you know, except for my the people that hold me accountable. But Lauren's move was, golly, just gutsy, gutsy. So why don't you talk about recovery and that night? And I think that's a significant part of this. Yeah. So we were starting up Celebrate Recovery at the Village. And there were some other things that led up to that. I was in a Bible study with a bunch of other women. Josh, your wife, Natalie, was in there. Yep. And we were going through one of Beth Moore's studies uh, breaking free, maybe I can't remember. I anyway, think that was it. I was rem- it breaking I, yeah, free? Yeah, I remember yeah. Natalie going through that with y'all. Yep. And there was just a moment in one of her sessions that I, it was like the Lord was dealing with my heart, like, like you've got to move forward. You've got to like, because I think I can get frozen in fear, and the Lord was like, you, you've got to be uncomfortable enough to move forward to get healing, and so. Um, I didn't know what that was going to look like. There, she used, I th- if this is the right Bible study, it's been a while, the uh, story of Israel going from the wilderness, crossing the Jordan River, and going into the promised land, and how there was an opportunity to kind of look back on the wilderness and Egypt before that, and what was familiar, and, and kind of long after that, and stay there, or there was an opportunity to pick up that stone in the middle of the Jordan and move on Um, into the unknown. What was scary, but it was moving on. And so I was like, I don't know what the stone is. I don't know how I'm moving on, but I've got to do that. Well, then Celebrate Recovery is offered. I think that was a Thursday night. The Bible study had been Tuesday. And I was like, I think this is where I'm supposed to go. And so Thursday night, it was like the biggest celebrate recovery we'd had to that point, and I think Matt was kind of a special guest. I don't know. I, I don't know what you did because you didn't teach. Michael yeah. Snetzer taught, yep. and I remember just the message pierced my heart. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is me. I can't do this in my own strength. I need God's help." I remember they offered the first uh, surrender chip and I was just like glued to my seat in fear of what are, what's everybody going to think? I'm the pastor's wife. If I get up and admit I'm not okay. And so I, um, I, I let that, like that pass, that offer pass to come up, get the surrender chip and kind of tell everyone, Hey, there's an area in my life that's mm-hmm. owning me. And then they go through these other chips. And finally, I I remember regretting it. I was like, I didn't get up. I didn't grab it. And finally, they offer this surrender chip one more time. And I nearly sprinted up front to receive it because I was like, I want freedom more than I'm afraid of what Mm -hmm. people think. And so that was a turning point for me. And I think um, that was the beginning of just getting free of the perfectionism, people-pleasing, and performance that was also just helping me find my voice with Matt. I think a lot of it was just a lack of communication. And I just assumed what he wanted. And he just assumed what I was thinking. No question. And so for me, it was, I remember, you know, as we're trying to navigate this. And so I remember being able to say, babe, I love you. I want to be intimate with you. You're going to have to be patient with me. I'm I'm trying to learn how to be okay and how to let myself be vulnerable with you. And so just know my heart is I want you. I want to connect, but I it's like 
I've got training wheels on right now, and I just need your patience until I can take them off and we can enjoy this together. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, that was what the through looked like for us. So for me sitting in the room, and I was there that night because we were we were really honing in on we want this church, we want this is an okay place to not be okay. Like that's that's the whole vibe we wanted here at the village. Still our vibe. Like it's it's okay to not be okay. Like let's just be honest. We're we're messy people and and that my heart's always been like let the messy ones come, right? Let let the broken strange, like get in here and receive the love of Christ. And so I, I just wanted to be there. Like I wanted to be able to with all integrity on Sunday morning going, we've got a place for you. In fact, I'll save a seat next to me and and I'll be there this coming week and come sit by me and let's, let's receive the Lord's grace together. And so I'm there just to kind of help kickstart this ministry. And then like, if you, you think about where we were at that moment where you know, she had had this late night. I didn't know she had had that late night. I and mean, we had talked a little bit about it that morning. But at that point here, I'm I'm going to counseling. I'm I'm trying to figure out. But Lauren's still kind of stuck in her patterns. And that conversation in bed that night before I fell asleep and you went outside and wrestled with the Lord was like, she was she was apologetic. Like I'm I'm sorry. I'm I, I know and and I so appreciate that you're doing stuff. I don't want to be where I am. And I was just like, listen, okay, but I don't know what you're doing to like move out of this place that you feel stuck. So she's telling me she's stuck. And I'm like, well, great. What can you, is there a place that you can move towards to get some help then? Like I'm, I'm finding like, this has been really helpful for me. And um, so to watch her in front of the church, it was packed. Mm -hmm. So I, I still like, keep in mind, like as far as everybody else went, we had the perfect marriage. Lauren's a beautiful woman. I'm, I'm okay. Um, I've got a good personality, yep. right? I'm yep. I'm funny, right? I'm the funny guy that that won over the beautiful girl, and um, and so everybody thinks we've got this perfect marriage. We've got this little girl. The church is exploding. Kind of my star, or whatever is rising, and here's Lauren going. No, we're not all right, and doing it very publicly, and and so for me, you know, you want to talk about healing and moving forward. You're just like, oh my gosh, that was insane. And it showed her commitment to the Lord and to us. And, and that was such a moment for me just to marvel at the courage that she had because it was more courage than I had. That's not how I was doing this. I wasn't walking up in front of everybody going, I'm, I'm in a broken spot and I need help. It's not where I was yet. I, I wasn't even there in my journey. I didn't know how to do that yet. And But here's Lauren leading us in that way. And that, that was a profound moment, I think, for both of us that night. Well, it, it became a profound moment for the church as well. Oh, I think well. that's right. Uh, so just on behalf of, mm. I, w- I just want to share my gratitude because it it really anchored into the reality of this place. You and, and countless others yeah. who who modeled, it is okay to not be okay. Yeah. And I, you know, Lauren, when you said, um, you know, you, you're, here you are, stuck, hurting, mm-hmm. isolated, that you let it pass the first time, yeah. right? And and I think this kind of is a microcosm of what was oh, going yeah. on in your whole life. And then when you had the second opportunity, you get up and you sprint towards, yeah. right? It's like you run. But my word, how many folks yeah. 
just stay yeah. stuck yeah. because I don't want to underestimate how powerful the pressures are. Yeah. It's, well, what will this cost me? What right. will people yeah. think? What will be said of me? What, you know, it's all these narratives that start mm-hmm. to spin up that keep us stuck. Yeah. They keep us, um, and they keep us weighed down and whether it's our sin, our struggles, our hurts, whatever they might be. And to to know that you got up and walked towards the Lord. Yeah. As he's saying, just come to me. Yeah. You know, come to me. Yeah. And that's a gift and and a admonition and a charge yeah. to people to say, He is better. Freedom is better. That's right. Right? Yeah. It just just is. And it so is. You guys, seven years, tough seven years. We feel the weight of that, the struggle of that. You have these real significant turning point moments, one in the kitchen, one on the back porch in, in the middle of the night. And that is solidified with these movements towards, Matt, you move towards some uh, some counseling, some intense work that's a little bit behind the scenes. Lauren, you're moving towards and you're doing it in a little bit more public way. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're, all your struggles and sins and challenges were broadcast, but you were yeah. doing it in in the recovery space. Yeah. You were there every week yeah. for years mm-hmm. and you stayed there, which mm-hmm. again, I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord starts to blossom a marriage um, yeah. and and talk a little bit about that because I want to, I, I believe that's a grace yeah. as we're going to enter into the next yeah. kind of storm, yeah. which is 2009 yeah. and cancer. So talk about where you were before Thanksgiving of 09. Yeah. The, in terms of your marriage. Yeah. yeah. So one, if you're like, I can just in my mind's eye now, like maybe you're, you're, you're listening to this podcast and you're out for a walk or you're in your car or you're on your back porch or you're, and, and some of this is resonating with you. I, I just wanted to um, encourage you to, to get some kind of help and not believe all the things that are rolling into your head about um, it looking a certain kind of way or protecting your reputation or I, I, I just the intimacy that I get to walk with now, with Lauren now. And, and really, I think how that spills over into ministry and into my friendships and into my – is so profound that I would just encourage you to fight for your marriage no matter how hard it is by by doing your own work and and not like working on – the other, and so again, if you're if you're listening, that you're just on a walk, maybe you got your dog on a leash, or you're in your car, or and and you can kind of resonate with what we're describing in the first seven years. A move, a simple move that can be made right now, is to stop with the long list of things that your spouse needs to do to make you happy, and instead look deeply with some help into what's going on in my own heart and in my own soul and my own life in regards to my relationship with the Lord and where am I asking my spouse to be something that he or she is never actually going to be able to be because I've been designed to actually receive that from Jesus. And so that's a good question uh, to ask yourself. It's a good place to go to a counselor and ask for some help in or a recovery program. But just surrender to the fact that you need some help and, and go get it. There's nothing wrong with needing help. We're human beings. We're complex, um, twisted creatures that need the grace of God over and over and over and over again. So Lauren and I, like I said earlier, it it starts to, like we, 
we would do really well for a season and then fall back into some patterns. And uh, we were establishing new rhythms. We were learning new ways to communicate. And um, it it actually started happening fairly quickly um, after that. And and then it would morph into something else and be like, okay, that was different, but what was that? But, but at that point, we kind of had some understanding that helped us navigate even new spaces where, oh yeah, we missed each other there. Oh, you know what? We just need to have that conversation. So I wasn't pulling back anymore. And then Lauren was finding her voice. And, and that's a, that'll be a theme even in where I know we're going next, where when Lauren finds her voice, she, she becomes for me that iron sharpening iron. Um, I know we use that in men's ministry usually, but she becomes that for me in a profound way up to this day. But Lauren was finding her voice and that was one of the things that made everything better because she's she she's she shows deference and respect and but she's a strong strong woman uh, and anybody who knows her she's a force a powerful woman she's prophetically gifted she's um got a great deal of wisdom she's infinitely smarter than i am it's not and true. Well, it's different. Our, it's the way different. our brains work yeah, are very different, right? Saying. I'm yes. the message. You're the NAS. So <laughs> they both work, but in regards to precision. Um, and so Lauren's finding her voice. So she's able to go, ah, that, that, not like that. Um, but in a way where I don't feel offended and I don't feel disrespected. And I, and I was able to go, hey, this would, I would like this more if possible. And, and and we would talk and pray and and try it and then that's what was happening the three years between those two moments and Thanksgiving morning of '09. Yeah, it was really me having a backbone. I feel like where I wasn't just trying to morph into whatever he wanted, but I started to kind of stand up in a in a good way, not disrespectfully, but just to communicate. Like, here's what's actually going on in my heart and. It has little to do with you most often, Um, but here's what I want and here's what I'm thinking. And I, this is not, that impact is not, was not my intent, you know? So uh, that started, that was healthy for us. And we were able to enjoy one another. Matt felt safer for me. And so I I felt comfortable being more vulnerable. And so that's, that's where we were. So I get a text on Thanksgiving morning, 2009, Lauren, from your mom, mm-hmm. that said Matt had had a seizure and was en route to the hospital. I start making some calls and, and eventually find my way to the hospital as quick as I could. And I meet you there. Matt is there. Matt, you're lucent and uh, having conversations and But take us to that morning because before the text, it was Thanksgiving morning. And Lauren, you're you're doing some stuff to get ready to host and 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 prepare for the day. Matt, you're drinking some coffee on your way into the living room. And and why don't you paint that picture for us a little bit? Yeah, I was in the kitchen getting dishes ready, getting breakfast ready, and then getting some dishes ready for Thanksgiving at my mom's house um, later that day. And I hear uh, a clattering in the living room, assuming that it was Audrey, because we had like, she would like to do gymnastics on our (laughs) furniture. And I 
figured her feet hit this, you know, partition thing that had stuff hanging on it. And when I didn't hear Matt say, it's okay, I got it, I just was like, something's not right. And I can hear the clattering still as I'm walking into the living room, but I don't see Matt. I see the kids, I don't see Matt. And then I come around the couch and I see him on the floor having a grand mal seizure. And I'm just startled, uh, but praise God for my lifeguard <laughs> season in college. Because I remembered, okay, turn him on his side, do this. Um, you know, I yelled at poor Audrey to go get my phone. And anyway, and so called 911. And we lived very close to the fire station, so I could hear the sirens turn on and knew they were coming. Matt eventually like stopped seizing and was breathing heavily and I'm like oh my gosh like is he gonna wake up from this is he gonna be okay is he ever gonna be the same you know the EMTs come in the kids um I had called my Audrey had somehow called uh I guess my parents maybe from your phone Matt and um and then um you know we're uh in the they load you into the ambulance and You've stopped seizing. You are, you've kind of woken up, but like you are looking straight through me. There's no recognition in your face that you know me. Um, And so I'm just like, what in the world? I get in the front seat of the ambulance. My parents are there at that point with the kids. And I remember texting my, that Bible study group and just saying, pray for us. Um, Matt's had a seizure. We're headed to the, the emergency room right now. So at this point, you have three kids. Yeah. You've got Nora, Mm -hmm. who is how old at this point? Six months old. Six months old. Reed? Uh, Just turned four. And then Audrey is seven? Okay, Mm -hmm. six. Matt, any recollection of that day? Really have very few memories from that morning. I remember getting up, getting a cup of coffee. I remember Lauren asking me to feed Nora her bottle. I remember feeding her that bottle, burping her and then putting her in her Johnny jump up. Um, and and then I woke up in the hospital. So I have zero memory of the seizure or the ambulance ride or the EMT. Like I I, I just, apparently I was hostile at one point. And yeah. so they um, apparently <laughs> deep in me, there's some, yeah, I was on my healing journey still. Right. And, right. Um, you may or may not have punched an EMT. Well, it's I don't, fine. like I said, I don't have any memory. So that may or may not be true, but um, they gave me something and knocked me out. And that pretty much wiped any memory yeah. I had of that morning. So I woke up, like when I woke up, my first memory, you're in the room with right. Bleaker. Apparently yeah. I'd woken up about four times and asked the same question. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's my, that's my. You're, you're, At first it was sad and then it started getting funny. Yeah. You guys, we're all we're all at the hospital. They do a scan. Yeah. And um, I, I can remember waiting, and then uh, comes back, and the scan reveals a mass yep. uh, in in your right frontal lobe that was going to require more yeah. um, procedures. Mm-hmm. You know, a better understanding. So that's on a Thursday. That's mm-hmm. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day. We move to the weekend which happened to be the last weekend at our Highland Village campus. We were just about to move into uh, a beautiful new campus here in Flower Mound. And and you're not there. You're not preaching that weekend. 
Uh, so there was a, a sense of a loss there, yeah. a milestone that was missed that um, was a bummer. Yeah. Uh, you have a doctor's appointment on that Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You go down to Dallas, and why don't you talk about that doctor's appointment? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I can I can still feel that mm-hmm. doctor's appointment. Um, yeah, we, we went in thinking they're going to give me some medicine. Like I've got some kind of seizure thing. Somebody had read the, read the, um, CT scan. A well-intentioned. Yeah. Well-intentioned member had read the scan and just like, Hey, this looks like an encapsulated glioma. They're probably just going to give you some medicine for this. And so you should be fine. And then I'm like, great. They're going to, I'm going to go to this doctor's appointment and I'm going to, I'm going to find out. I just need to take some medicine. Yeah. And, um, man, he flipped on that screen and it was a diff- it was a colored screen and it was, a, and I think both of our hearts just sank. And then Dr. Barnett, who's, man, he's turned into a friend. He was, I mean, he just immediately started talking crazy. He started, <laughs> he told this story of a guy that had glioblastoma and made it 10 years. I mean, that's what he told that. I was like, so in my head, I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. What? Like, I'm doing the math 10 years and I'm doing the math of my kids. I'm like, so huh, Audrey's 16, Reed's 14, Nora's 10. That's how I, that's how I processed that um, appointment. And, and then he's like, we, I want to get this out ASAP. Like, I, I want to get in there. I want to be aggressive. I want to, want to really attack this. And Lauren was like, yes, get it out. <laughs> I mean, she, was, she knew I from the like first second. I it was second. supposed to come out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, then I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to tell people that, I mean, I've got to loop in you and Brian and I've got to tell my parents and her parents and I've got to tell my kids, how am I going to tell my kids this? And, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, what they're about to cut out my right frontal lobe, basically. What does that mean? Will I wake up the same person? Will I? And so I wanted to quickly shoot a video for the church. And um, and I think you could still watch that video on YouTube and wanted to have a conversation with my kids, record some things for my kids. I just didn't know how I was going to wake up. And that was that was a tough day. It wasn't the hardest day, but it was a tough day. Yeah, So that, I remember that phone call. Yeah. I remember when you yeah. called me that afternoon. And, uh, you know, I pick up the phone, I'm, I'm in, I actually went into your office and, and then I remember you not talking. Yeah. You started to talk and then faded out. I couldn't do it. Couldn't, couldn't get it out. And, um. I think he handed the phone to me. He did. Yeah. So just to create for the listener, the, the urgency when, when Dr. Barnett said, Hey, we need to get this out. Seizures on Thursday. Yep. This appointment is the following Tuesday. Tuesday. Surgery is Friday. Friday. So yeah. all the conversations that you're talking about, all the videos that you're shooting, all the things that you're thinking about for Audrey Reed and Nora, all of that happened between Tuesday afternoon and really Thursday night. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is <laughs> that was a lot to process. Oh, my gosh. And a lot to walk through. So, Lauren, Tuesday afternoon. I don't remember much except that, you know, I think I I just remember just being in the moment and not trying to—I I think it was just the grace of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to not move me past that moment and just think about today. Today is we've got to get this thing out, 
and we'll deal with tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll deal with the effects, whatever that looks like tomorrow. And so, yeah, I just, I felt purposeful and somewhat hopeful. I really did. I felt like I don't want this, but I, I felt a lot of peace about we first step is the surgery. And I guess I had a lot of confidence in Dr. Barnett. I just felt like he was going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's still questions of how is he going? What will he be like after this? But I just, I was like, oh, we're just one day at a time. And really just, I loved him. He's who God had for me. I was convinced of that on the day we got married. I was convinced before that. And no matter how this was going to shake out, that, you know, I'm his, he's mine, and we're going to do this together uh, with the Lord. He had us. And so, yeah, I, I honestly, the it's a blur. The only other things I remember is th- the Thursday night before um, his surgery, which Matt does not remember, which I say, that must have been in the part of your brain that they got out. <laughs> which, by the way, is something you'll often say. If, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's a good joke now. I'm sorry. It's a good joke now. Yeah, I didn't say it then, that's no. for sure. But uh, yeah, we had a prayer and worship night, and it was beautiful. It was in our living room. Michael Bleeker led worship, and lots of our friends, family, and close staff were there to pray for us. And it was a really sweet night that that really prepared us for the unknown of the next day. Yeah, that, that was a sweet night, Matt. I'm sorry you... You don't remember. You know what's wild is Bleeker has video of that. Mm -hmm. And it's like I can see myself in the room and simultaneously have no memory of that night. It was years later when someone was interviewing Bleeker and he talked about that. And I was like, I looked over to Lauren. I was like, wait, what? What happened? She was like, what do you mean what? I was like, I have no memory of that. So then I watched those videos. It is the weirdest. I bet that's weird. Like I'm there. I'm in that chair. Audrey's in my lap. I don't don't have any memory of that. Well, you guys made a decision to be public about this journey. Yeah. And uh, that decision endeared you to a whole bunch of people. Um, You didn't have to do that. And it would have been perfectly within your rights and perfectly appropriate to make this a private journey. Yeah. And um, and that's that's okay and and honoring to do if that was your choice. But that's not what you chose to do. So you posted some videos, Matt. You shared some things. It was really powerful. Uh, Thursday night, we have this worship and prayer time at your house, which was beautiful. And then you guys hopped in the car and you drove down yep. to Dallas, stayed in a hotel and and uh, just to be closer to the hospital. Wake up Friday morning, surgery, and which was a, it went longer yeah. than we anticipated, which I didn't know how to interpret. Yeah. And, you know, uh, well-wishers who came and yeah. sat in the lobby, which started to be a little bit overwhelming and you know it there was all it's like all the sights and sounds of that season which Matt you you were largely unaware of Lauren I saw in you a new strength mm. a strength that was emerging that was it was right for the time yeah and you said this and I think it's important to say because I don't know that people I don't I don't know I I hope people can cling to this. There is a grace that God affords us when we need the grace. That's right. And I I don't want to pretend that I can understand um, 
all the, all the ways that he does that. But when it's time for the grace to be needed, it's there. Yeah. And that's what I saw him do for you yeah. uniquely. Um, how you bore it, how you walk through it. I could feel your steadiness. I could feel your presence and, mm-hmm. and not future, not forecasting, not mm-hmm. catastrophizing, but I am present today. Yeah. And that's all I have, daily bread. Yeah. I've got daily bread for right now. And so again, the only way through is through. Mm-hmm. Matt comes out of the surgery late Friday night. I remember going into the room and uh, just when you came, when you were coming to, you had this flat effect, but man, your humor was there, except there was no facial expression behind it. and Which people um, have told me was terrifying. It was sweet. Once the doctor said, this is normal. This is normal. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, was unsettling sweet. at first. Yeah, for yes. sure. But it was like, oh, there's Matt. Matt's yeah. there. And and it starts a, a pretty long journey yeah. of recovery. And, and the first thing was you were in the rehab unit at the hospital, yeah. kind of learning to walk and establish some things that, that they needed to walk you through a, a bunch of protocols. But Lauren, why don't you talk a little bit about, from your perspective, that stay? And again, for the listeners, we're thinking about the overcomers here. Yeah. You're at the hospital. Yeah. Uh, you're you're by yourself in a, in a lot of ways. There's yeah. a, you're awaiting um, a prognosis. Yeah. You're awaiting a biopsy report. Yeah. You're awaiting to see. I mean, you remember Matt wasn't able to stand up yeah. by himself without mm-hmm. without a nurse who walked him three yeah. steps to the bathroom. Yeah. Like that's where, that's where you were. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Yeah. I think it was still, like you said, that grace, um, Corey Ten Boom tells a story in the hiding place. Um, I think she's asking her dad kind of about if something bad happens, like what's, where's kind of God in that? And how do I prepare myself for when something bad happens. And he tells a story of, well, when I, when you're about to get on the bus, when do I give you your ticket for the bus? And she's like, well, right before I get onto the bus, I don't lose it. And he said the same, uh, the same is true for God. When it's time for that grace, he gives it then and not a moment before. And so I feel like that's what he, he, his presence, I mean, he was ministering to me and being that rock for me that previously I had in Matt. Matt had been my rock. He was the one that provided stability for me. And I remember this was kind of weeks after like the the moments, you know, following surgery where I, I kind of, I got language for what happened, where I think it's in Isaiah 33, says he will be the stability of your times. And I remember thinking, God, that's what you were for me then, is you were the stability that previously I'd put on Matt, and and here he is shakable. Like, Matt's shakable. He's human. Um, but God, putting my stability on you, you are unshakable. And so, and these are all things that I wasn't, like, uh, aware of. They were subconscious. They were happening in kind of deep places. And and, uh, really, I was just taking moment by moment. As it came, I was thinking, how can I help Matt? What can I do to to help him recover? I I think if I have any regrets, 
it is that I wanted to be there with him, which meant I was away from the kids. Yeah. And I do think that affected them negatively, and it breaks my heart. I wish I could have been in two places at the same time, but relied a lot on friends, relied a lot on a young woman who was a nanny for us. And it's just a lot to carry when you're not their mom. And um, I know, yeah, Audrey was old enough to know and to miss us. And so I'm, I'm heartbroken that I could not be there for them and be there for Matt. And it was like, it was hard to make that decision. But I also know that the Lord can be, can minister to them in that loss, in that grief, in the hurt of not having their mom there for probably was, probably was like 10 days, yeah. uh, 10 to 14 days. I mean, they would come up to the hospital, but I wasn't, and we'd have dinner close by, but I, I wasn't going home a lot. And so, yeah, those are hard things. But in the moment, I was like, I need to be with Matt. And and so, yeah, I remember when it was, well, one of the places that was real isolating was receiving the diagnosis. And the doctor just recommending, hey, I just, let's let's just hold this to yourself. Let's not share it with Matt. Let him focus on getting stronger, getting better. It's just better for him if he's focusing on recovery and not, oh my gosh, I have brain cancer. I have two to three years to live and I'm about to have to go through radiation and chemo. It was like, nope, just focus on him getting stronger. And so there were only two of us that knew Brad Miller um, because he was he needed to make decisions for the village church and he was the chairman of, chairman of the elder board yep. and me and then I had to make this decision do I share this with others do I share it with Matt's parents do I share it with my parents what do I do and I just felt like I don't want everyone else in the room to know and Matt not know yeah. it felt dishonoring it felt disrespectful it felt wrong it felt like Everyone might it, it have to put on a face for him. And so I, I held that close. And it was a hard decision because I wanted normally the person I would have gone to to ask, am I making the right decision? What should I do? Was Matt. And yeah. I couldn't do it. And so I had to just, you know, stand on my own two feet with the stability that God provides and, and rest that he would have any kind of fallout because of the decision I made. And so, yeah, that that was probably one of the hardest aspects of that season for me. I remember the doctor saying, you know, when Matt starts to ask questions, yep. will be an indicator that he's more ready to receive the heavy news. And it was interesting. I mean, he wasn't asking. He wasn't. He was not asking, hey, so so what happened? Yeah. What What's going on? What what they find? And it was probably two weeks, yeah. maybe. Um, and I knew that you knew. Uh, and, and it was, I knew you were caring a lot. It wasn't like I was thinking it was good, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also know that that came at a cost for you. Yeah. Um, and I understand the hurt that other people felt yeah. with your decision. Uh, and I understand the reason you made the decision. 
And so again, just for the listener to appreciate the weight of some of these moments, it's like there's not a silver bullet. Mm -mm. There's not a clear path. Do I go to the hospital with my husband or do I go home? I can't be in two places at one time. My heart is torn. Uh, I have heavy news, but I want him to hear it before anybody else. But that that means other people will be disappointed in me. And boy, does that hit your people pleasing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, All of those things are present and the Lord gives grace and and you look back and you feel the losses even now and you feel the sting of some of yeah. those things. And if I could just pick up the pace through a season that it felt so slow yeah. and it feels it like forever ago now yeah. that I think about it. But uh, Matt goes through chemo, radiation. You know, obviously you finish the rehab aspect of yeah. it. Uh, you, you come out of the hospital. Uh, your duties at the church are being covered by other folks mm-hmm. and Again, it's public. You're you're yeah. you're filming videos and posting these things. But talk about Matt, what you were feeling as you become cognizant and aware of you do know the diagnosis. Yeah. And on top of that, you're gonna you're gonna go through a regimen for the next eighteen months. Yeah. That make you feel sick and small and pathetic with chemo and radiation. Yeah. I, so diagnosis day. That that's probably maybe. Maybe worst day of our lives. Um, and I mean, the floor fell out. Um, and then, and then I'm heading home. Well, now I've got to tell everybody this is the game. And I, I started wrestling with the Lord in, um, yeah, I, I think I knew the right theological answer. Why not me? Like, what's special about me that I... But man, I remember this really... I mean, just the wickedness of my heart on display for me. It was in... I mean, all this is happening around Christmas. And here, a white Christmas in Texas, which I don't get to participate in. I can't go outside. I'm just sitting there watching my kids play in the snow, little kids play in the snow. And all I see is loss everywhere. Like if I see my girls, I'm just thinking, well, gosh, I'm not going to get to walk Audrey down the aisle. If I see my son, I don't get to help him become a man. I think Nor will have no memory of me. Except what maybe she can watch on YouTube or something. And then I'm sitting on my couch. It was one of those rare moments I was I was by myself. And... um. And you know how everybody like sends you cards to their family. And and there was a card in particular of a guy that was at the church with his wife who was kind of a serial adulterer, a, a narcissist and a, and a real, like he just a terrible person. And I remember sitting there going, really, Lord? I'm, I'm going through this? Like you, this is, you let this into my life? Like this guy right now? And I mean, I just totally went, to that nasty, judgmental, wicked part of me where I'm making this accusation against God that he he's playing this wrong, that, that that's the guy that deserves this, not me. 
I've done nothing but serve him. I've done nothing but be faithful to my own hurt. I've never taken a job for more money. I have signed the rights of my books away to the church. I have stayed low on purpose so that you might be made. And I'm and I'm made aware by the grace of God just how nasty and ugly all that was in that moment and got a chance to repent. But I couldn't, I couldn't find my footing for a long time with the Lord. I wanted him to heal me, but there were these two, two factions uh, of people that I were running into, the, the kind of more charismatic people that were saying, I, I needed to just believe that I was healed, which sound nonsensical to me. And then there was this other group that just prayed such weak kind of, well, if it's the will of God, let it be done. And, and, and I didn't even know how to, I'd been teaching on suffering forever here at the village. We'd been, you know, all, all, all our funerals in the early days here were 20 something, 30 something. So I'd been trying to prep us for suffering. And yet I didn't know how to navigate this moment with the Lord. And so I'm, I'm just wrestling and I'm just unapologetically saying, I, I want these things. I want to walk my daughters down the aisle. I don't want my wife to marry another man. I want to help my son become a man. I want to grow old with these friends. I want these things. I don't know if you're going to give them to me, but I want you to know I want them. And and then I'm wrestling, oh my gosh, should I be doing that? And then feel guilty of, oh, I should just want his glory. And then, and I'm stuck in my relationship with the Lord because I don't, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And, and then eventually the Lord would break through and, and, would help me through a friend who's now with the Lord, who had the same kind of cancer that that I had, that just would say, what if, because the the chemo made me crave sugar in a weird way, like made me crave, like, listen, it was fruity pebbles. Like I'm on chemotherapy and all I want to eat is fruity pebbles. I don't eat fruity pebbles, but that's all I wanted. Like fruity pebbles and a grape soda, I'd kill a man for that <laughs> while I was on chemo. And I was having this conversation with David, his name was David Quo, and, you know, just lamenting that instead of wanting the presence of the Lord, I, I wanted fruity pebbles and grape soda. And, you know, David, it, I don't know. It, I mean, anyway, David was just like, you're such an idiot, man. Like, what if the way the Lord wants to meet with you right now is through some fruity pebbles and, and grape soda? And he sent me this case, I mean, this giant case of fruity pebbles. And, um, and, and I started to get my footing with just going, I'm just going to give the Lord my heart. That's what he wants. So I'm just going to, give him my heart. And I'm going to ask him to, like, like we see in the Bible, I believe, help my unbelief. And, and I, I want to be healed. I want a long life here. And, and I know that life will be wrought with struggle and victory and love and hurt. And, but, but I want that. And, and that's not taking away from my desire to be with him for eternity and know that he's better. But I do want that. And that really became kind of the basis of my relationship with the Lord in that season. But it took me a while to get there felt real disoriented. At first, I felt like he, I felt a little Jeremiah, right? You, you tricked me, you, you betrayed me. And, and then from there, I, I was disoriented in how to even talk with him about this. Should I ask for healing? Should I not? Um, should I tell him that what my heart really wants is to walk my daughters down the aisle and to grow old with Lauren and my crew? Should, should I like, or, or does that, does that make me selfish? And that, and that was where I was disoriented in the season. And everybody I knew was young and healthy. I, I didn't have anybody to. So David became David Quo and this, this fraternity that all of a sudden I was in where, because it was public, man, brain cancer people came out of the woodwork and were like, hey, man, let's, let's talk. And, and they became my guides on how to navigate even my faith through that. It was super disorienting. 
this theme. Now we've talked about two, two deep and and really challenging circumstances: marriage, cancer, and for both of you, part of the grace that was given was God brought the right people at the right time Absolutely. in the right season, and that's a gift. And that's a gift that I I don't want to overlook. I want to highlight that because it is part of God's provision. Yeah. David Quo was part of God's provision. Absolutely, uh, the counselor that you saw in in the early years of your marriage was God's provision to you to help you overcome through challenging seasons. Yeah, really challenging seasons. Yeah. What's What's wild is you faithfully walk through the protocols put before you. Yeah, you know the the common grace of medicine. And you clung to the prayers of your heart and invited other people to join you in those prayers. And the the prognosis of two to three years, gosh, that was daunting. Um, and it meant, you know, MRI scans, what was it, every three months? Then every, every month. Every month. month. It was every Every month. three months, then every six months, mm-hmm. then every nine months, then every 12 months, you know, just yep. as, as time started stacking on time. And here we are. It's it's this November will be fourteen, 14 years, years, which is a gift. It's uh, crazy. It's, it it truly is crazy. Um, as you reflect back on it, what do you mine from that season? Like, what where where is the gold in those dark days? Um, I think it was just the intimacy I felt with the Lord, where I had no one else. Like there is no one. I mean, we had community, sure, but no one could go to the deep places That's right. in my soul. Not even Matt, and I couldn't go in his. But Christ and me, the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father was there with me, and it was tangible. And man, I even just as you're sharing, like 14 years, this November, and Audrey, our oldest, set a wedding date for November 19th of this year and we thought man you know you didn't think you'd make it and by God's grace we will you will you will get to write to walk Audrey down that aisle and and man whether we were promised that or not like we weren't promised that no you weren't promised that but how kind of God how merciful to let you do that and um more than getting to do that, what has lasted and last through all the seasons that we will face, no matter what they come, what comes is knowing that there is a God in heaven who cares, who's personal, and who is worth building your entire life on. Yeah. And that his love and faithfulness is usually proven not in the times where everything goes right in the times that he is the only hope you have and so for me that that's been the gold yeah it's so i don't know how this will hit people theologically i think i'm okay with that um i can look back on that in particular and start to tie it to longevity and ministry um, I, I don't think the Lord gave me cancer. I don't think that's how this works. I, I think the enemy was at work and the Lord turned it on its head. But when I look at um, being brought low, being brought weak, 
um, being reminded by God that I'm going to go in the ground and the story's just going to move on. Like all of that happened in that season. I think I learned not to take myself so seriously. Um, I, I think, I, I, again, I can look back and go, where would, where would I have gone in heart and mind had that season not been given to me? Um, I, I'm a completely different man because of that. I was, I was given openness to things that I probably wouldn't have been open to before. There was a rigidness to me that died in that season. There was a curiosity that was born in that season as I did different kinds of therapies that produced different kinds of things that made me curious about other things that would play into a story that we don't really have time to get into in this, this podcast in particular. But I look back now, I don't ever want to do it again. I, I, it was awful. Uh, I mean, awful, awful. I mean, you could hear it in this podcast. I can't, I still can't talk about it. We're coming up on 14 years and I can see, I can see Audrey at the top of our stairs in that house. And I remember feeling such loss, um, like a kind of loss that I thought was going to kill me before the cancer. And, um, and now 14 years later, being brought to the end of myself is one of the greatest gifts he's ever given me. Um, and so what the enemy meant for evil, right? What the enemy meant to destroy me, the Lord turned on its head um, and used in a pretty profound and powerful way. But I mean, keep in mind, I'm 14 years away being able to talk like that. And, and I think there are things you go through that you can live to be 170 and still not have that kind of clarity that the Lord by his grace has given me for that season. Those are powerful insights, and um, and they're encouraging for me to hear. They truly are, uh, and I, I trust they're encouraging for anyone and everyone who's listening to this not to kind of gloss past the pain of it, the white Christmas morning and the dark place of your heart that emerges in anger and frustration uh, that is outward towards some people and upward towards the Lord and having to wrestle through that, the the feelings of loneliness and despair, the loss that that season created that you'll never get back, right? Yeah. It's just gone. And yet the Lord, in his mercy and grace, we think about the book of Joel, that he will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. Mm-hmm. And there were some, some fields that were ravished in those years that you just, yeah. milestones that were missed, opportunities yeah. that are gone. Uh, seasons where it's, I wish I could have been home and at the hospital. And yet the Lord, he brings back a harvest and, um, and that's just like who he is. Praise God for that. But boy, if it's not true that we're going to go through loss, that's right. we're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through challenges. We're going to go through struggle. We're going to go through betrayal. We're going to go through devastation. We're going to go, we're going to go through disappointments untold because that is the reality of life. And the message of this podcast is, in Christ, you can overcome. That's right. Mm-hmm. But you got to go through it. You got to go through it. No way around it. So this is episode one. In, in the episodes that follow, it'll be stories similar to this with a different emphasis. And again, the, the hope is it, you can you can tell even in Lauren and I's story, like it, the story's not over. Like we... 
We've still got a, a, a long journey home ahead of us. And so our lives have been filled with highs and lows and wins and losses and these great golden eras and these really low, dark, hard eras. And this is what faith looks like in reality. Um, it's not what you're seeing on Instagram. It's hard days and good days and sometimes hard mornings and good afternoons. And um, it's all woven together in a tapestry that makes up our lives. And yet in the book of Revelation, we see this refrain to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. So I'm not sure um, how your day's going even today. I'm not sure why you listen to this podcast in particular, but I am praying today that by the grace of God, you might be stirred up in your confidence that God will see you through and that you might be stirred up in greater affection for Jesus who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so God bless you. See you next time on The Overcomers. Hey guys, Pastor Matt, hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Overcomers. You find your heart more encouraged in the Lord, uh, more dedicated to His kingdom. Uh, just want to remind you, if you found this helpful in, in this season of life, I this is what I want to do. I want to encourage your heart. I want to lift up your eyes and, and let you behold the beauty of Jesus. Uh, and so on top of The Overcomers podcast, uh, also started a website, just pastormattchandler.com. Uh, and on my website, there's all sorts of resources, but but you can also um, sign up for a monthly newsletter where I'm just trying to wring from the scriptures um, encouragement for your souls. And so you, there are two different newsletters. There's one for um, just everyday Christians seeking to be faithful where they are. And then there's a there, there's another newsletter uh, for pastors and church leaders. Uh, and so sign up for either one of those or both of those. Uh, but man, look forward to staying in contact with you. God bless you.